All right, I need you to uh, turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter number 5. While they're taking care of that business. Again, Brother Brent, thank you for uh, that information. It's awesome what he has done to be able to... And by the way, I want to make it very clear. When those guys address me as the pastor and appreciate those things, they're listening to Sunday school lessons and Wednesday night services that these other men are preaching and teaching. And it's not just the sermons that your pastor preaches. God's using our men uh, to uh, to help those uh, folks that are out there listening. And uh, the prisoners are really, really uh, using those tablets that the Lord has provided for them to listen to our services. And so um, that's encouraging that the Word of God is getting out around the world. All right, Galatians chapter number 5. I'm going to ask you please to turn there. And uh, this is a a subject that will not be anywhere close to being new to you on things that I have preached over the years. It is a subject that is very, very, very uh, dear to me and uh, personal to me. And uh, we're going to go over it again tonight. But what I did ask the Lord to do, I did ask Him to give me something fresh and that I didn't even look at my my notes over the years that I've used, but I want to just be fresh as I can when I get up in the pulpit uh, but you know, I've been preaching. I've been preaching on walking with the Lord on Sunday morning and sometimes on Sunday night. Now I'm looking at a group of people that I believe with all my heart that the majority of you in here have a desire to walk uh, with the Lord. I am convinced of that. And you know, the Lord God of heaven, the Bible says, and earth has made this a priority for Him uh, because it greatly pleases Him when we desire and choose to walk with Him. Who's the first man in the Bible that's mentioned that walked with God? Anybody know? Raise your hand. Several of you do. Who is it? Enoch. Enoch. Do you remember how old Enoch was when he began to walk with the Lord? He was 65 years old. It's never too late to start walking with the Lord. And an event took place in his life that helped him to realize the seriousness of life. God gave him a son. God gave him a child, Methuselah. And I think there's so many prophetic symbols there in all that took place there, but that's not my point tonight. We'll do that another night when we start teaching and preaching on some eschatology. But the Bible says about Enoch that he walked with God after he begat Methuselah. For 300 years he walked with the Lord. The Bible says he walked with God and one day he was not. Mays Jackson said that the uh, Russians have their cosmonauts and the Americans have their astronauts and God has his was not. One of these days we'll be walking around and where Brother Roger go? Well, hopefully you'll know where I'm at because you'll be with me. Amen. So, But, you know, God was pleased with him because he wanted to walk with the Lord in a very ungodly and wicked, depraved society. The whole earth was filled with violence and wickedness. But he walked with the Lord. The Bible says, then God called out Israel and he said, listen, here's all I want you to do. I just want you to walk with me. I want you to walk before me and walk with me and love me and obey me. And honor me, and I will richly bless you. They did for a little while, and then they turned away from him. And then God eventually set them aside and said, Okay, I'm going to call out a new new group of people called the Church of God. And the Church of God does not replace Israel. Israel has simply been set aside. And the Lord now has called you and I, born-again believers... And listen, this, what I'm preaching tonight is not for super saints, missionaries, and preachers and evangelists. This is for the mom and the dad, the, the worker, uh, the guy who, who gets up every morning and sweats all day and uh, comes home and loves his wife and loves his kids and struggles with his flesh. That's what this message is for tonight. God is interested in fellowshipping with you. Amen. The Bible says that we should walk worthy. And I've talked about these different things, walking worthy. Of the vocation wherewith you were called. And yes, when somebody says, do you have a calling on your life? Sometimes they say that like they want to separate you from everybody else. And I know what they mean by that. I do. Like have you been called to preach? Have you been called to the mission field? Things like that. But the Bible says that everybody in here has a calling. 
and is in the ministry. You've got to accept that and realize that. And he wants you to walk worthy of it. He says, you should not henceforth walk as other Gentiles walk. Do not fall in love with the world. Do not try to conform to its image. Do not let it impact your decisions as much as possible. Then he said, I want you to walk in love as Christ has loved you. I want you to think about that. Not the love that the world has. Jesus compared, he said, sinners love those who love them. Sinners will love, will lend money to people who pay them back. He said, uh, I want you to go beyond that. I want you to love. And Paul said to the Corinthians, the more I love you, the less I'm loved. But it didn't keep him from loving them. He said, well, I'm not going to put up with him anymore. If he's not going to be nice to me, I'm not going to be nice to him. Well, hello, you're not much of a Christian. You're just a plain old sinner. That's what sinners do. God wants you to go beyond that. Now, I don't have to be best friends with somebody that's mean to me. But it doesn't mean I can't love them and be nice to them. They're not going to determine who I am and what I am based on their behavior. We're to walk as children of light, honestly and holy before the Lord, circumspectly, wisely, and by faith and not by sight. And we're to walk in truth by embracing it and expressing it. Listen to what John said. If we profess, he said, and I'm paraphrasing what he, what he was saying here. He says, if we profess the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we confess Him before men, and we say that He abides in us and we abide in Him, here's what he said. He said, then we ought also to walk even as He walked. Now this is a priority of our Heavenly Father. That we should walk in a way that pleases Him. And the Lord Jesus Christ, one of His main goals and purposes, and He accomplished that, was to always please His Father. Always please His Father. You'll never please everybody in your family. Never. There will be times that you'll even have some hard times with some of the people in your family. You'll never be able to please everybody in your tight circle. Or your big circle. But you can please your heavenly Father. The Lord God of heaven not only made it His priority, but He made it a possibility for you to walk with Him. So here's where we look in Galatians 5. In verse number 25. I think that you want to. I think that many of you in this room desire to walk with the Lord. Galatians 5.25, I think you've done, that the devil's done a pretty good job though of putting a stronghold in your mind and thinking, I'll never, I'll never, I'll never. And that's not true. You've got to tear that thing down and say, it's God's will that I do. And if it's His will, then he, not only he, will He make it, uh, you know, His priority, but He will make it possible for me to do this. This is where we need to look at Galatians 5 and verse number 25. Notice it, it says this. Now let me, let me back up to, to another verse. That's, I'm ahead of myself. On verse number 16, he said, And this I say then, walk in the Spirit. Now we've been talking about walking with God. He says, walk in the Spirit, Galatians 5, 16. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now look in verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also what? Walk in the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. I've asked God to help me to help you tonight as best I can with this subject. As I told you before, I've preached on this many times and I believe it with all my heart. When God allows me to, I do preach on it in other, at other churches. And even at, sometimes at pastor schools. Because I am convinced that the Holy Spirit has been neglected and ignored in many places. I don't want that to be true here. I don't want it to be true in my own heart. But in Galatians 5, he tells us, and here's the key. If you'll notice in verse number, I believe it is um, in verse 25, it's amazing how that two letters are so large of a word. Verse number 25 says, if. If. 
If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. I think according to verse number 17, the the struggle is very real for us tonight. Do you agree with that? Notice what he says in verse 17. I think that many of you desire to overcome your past. I think you desire to overcome the sin that does so easily beset you. I think that you have some weaknesses. We all do. The apostle said that we are men of like passions as you are. And so I know that you have some of the same weaknesses I do. I have the, some of the same weaknesses that you do. Now, some one person may have a dominant problem than another person. But we all have the same rotten flesh. And we are capable of doing the very same things. Amen. So you need to understand that when you're praying for your teenager. Or you're praying for your mom and dad or your brother and sister. That they are capable of doing anything in the flesh. Okay, now watch what he says here. The the conflict is real. My flesh lusts against my spirit. Because my flesh desires to dominate me and control me. And to have its own way and its will. It wants to sin. It craves sin. It craves it. Like a, like a, a junkie craves his next fix. The flesh craves to rule the Spirit of God and push it aside and do what it wants to do. And here's what he said. He said, that the, and this, this, this struggle is real. And he says they're contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. So life could be very frustrating for a teenager or for a young man that wants to live for God and do right. Even for a grandfather who wants to live for God and do what's right. Amen? They think because we get older, it gets easier. But I have found it just changes gears. And it just there's always something that changes in our lives that makes life a little bit harder and difficult in areas that we did not struggle with when we were younger. There's always a struggle. And so I'm asking the Lord, Lord, if you want me to live for you and walk with you, you're going to have to give me some help. And so here we have in the scripture that there's going to be a conflict. There's going to be a conflict. And the Lord says this struggle is very real. And I know that I've tried to help some of you and talk with you privately about certain things. And some of you have been asking for prayer one for another about certain issues. So don't, don't. You know, the Bible says we're to confess our faults one to another. Yes, be careful who you confess them to. But you need sometimes to ask some folks to pray for you. But the desire is real. But can I say to you tonight that the solution is also as real for you? If you desire it and you want it, you can have it. Now watch in this passage here. Because God wants this for me. Verse 16 says, I say, walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. God wants me to walk in the Spirit. That's a command, not a suggestion. God wants that for me. My desire is to have that. I'm sick of the conflict. I'm, 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 I'm sick and tired of getting thrown down to the mat and kicked to the curb by the flesh. What I want in verse number 22, that's what I want right there. That's my desire right there, the fruit of the Spirit. I want to love like Jesus loved. I can love, but I need to go beyond that. I need to love like Jesus loved. And I need some joy, some joy that is not circumstantial, but is consistent. I want that. Because, man, there's always something coming at us sideways we don't see. Jesus said that that, uh, I'm going to give you some joy. And he said, no man taketh it from you. So what does that mean if I don't have it? It means I gave it up somewhere. I gave it up somewhere. And the Bible says here, peace. I don't know about you, but I'm addicted to that. I love the peace of God. I hate being anxious and troubled and stressed out. I hate that. I don't want it. Now listen, I'm not trying to use God for an easy path. God will give this in the midst of trials and tribulations and troubles and disappointments and heartache. That's what I'm trying to tell you. It's not an easy path. It's just that God gives you grace for these things. And he says long-suffering. Wouldn't you like to be able to put up with people a lot better than you do? 
Amen. And gentleness. And goodness. And faith. And meekness. And temperance. You know, if you are temperate in your life, you get a whole lot more liberties from the Lord. God will give you much liberty and freedom to do many things because you can control those things. They do not control you. We sometimes want to build fences around everything and make, think that it makes us holy and righteous, but in reality, it just kind of puts us inside a fence. But God wants us to live in an ungodly world in a godly way. Is it possible? It is. Can I hang around a bunch of men... I'm talking about not by choice, but let's say I'm hanging around a bunch of men that one cuss word after another. Is it possible that I could live around them and not cuss? Yes, it is possible. God gave me a new tongue and and a new heart. But I do need the Holy Spirit because if I'm not careful, I'll hang around people who get mad through fits. Before long, I'll be getting mad throwing a fit because just to be around those kind of folks. You know what they say, you hang around dogs, you'll get fleas, that's what they say. And so, it, it is evil communications corrupt good manners. So, let's talk about this for just a moment. It's just so important for us tonight. Can I talk to you tonight about the Holy Spirit Himself? Turn with me to Romans chapter number 8. I want to give you a couple of thoughts tonight and we'll, we'll pray and go to the house. Romans chapter number 8. If you're in prison listening to this, I, I, I know it's got to be very difficult to deal with what you have to deal with in prison every day, every day, every night, every day, every night of things that they must deal with. But I believe that the Apostle Paul was in a prison. He was able to praise the Lord. And while he was in prison, he was able to write some of the books of the Bible. So I know that wherever you are, God can use you. Just like Joshua Thompson, when he was in there for 14 years, God used him to minister to the Spanish and to other folks. And God turned him loose and got him out. And now he is ministering to the Spanish-speaking folks there at Brother Welder's church. And God gave him a wife and has a wife and has three beautiful little girls. God's gracious and good, been kind to this man. But he was faithful for 14 years in prison. In prison. It can be done. Look in Romans chapter number 8. Look with me here. Verse number 1. He said, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. We rejoice many times when we read that verse, thinking this is in reference to our position in Christ concerning our eternal destiny. But in the text and the verse makes it very clear that's not what he's talking about. He says, Who walk? Not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If you walk in the flesh, your heart is going to trouble you. Your conscience is going to condemn you. You are going to have a hard time with peace and with love and with meekness and with long-suffering and with temperance. You're going to be a troubled individual because you can't enjoy where you came from and you're not enjoying the trip to where you're going. That's a pretty miserable position to be in. But you don't have to live like that. You don't have to live in between. Look in verse number, verse number four. He said, the righteousness of the law, and he's talking about what Christ did for us, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now the law can't do that. But Christ through the Holy Ghost can do that. He says, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now we need to consider, I think, three biblical facts about the Holy Spirit here tonight. Number one, the fact of His person. Who is He? And what is He? Who is He and what is He? Just for a brief moment. Look in verse number 9. Lest this confuse you, be sure you understand. When you hear about the subject of the Trinity... And sometimes those who oppose the doctrine of the Trinity say that that word's not in the Bible. There are words in the Bible that are not in the Bible, but the doctrine is. And usually somebody has to get a Bible where somebody taking a pen knife to and cut some verses out to prove their position. 
like 1 John 5, 7 doesn't, it's not in the original manuscripts, which they don't have. Of where it makes very clear that the Father and the Word and the Spirit of God are one. They are one. The Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost are one. Listen, God goes beyond human reasoning. Can you imagine trying to explain something in, let's say, 950 B.C.? Pick A.D. And you try to explain to them a telephone. And you try to explain to them electricity. That you explain to them that you could talk to somebody that's about 5,000 miles away, and if you wanted to, you could even see their picture. They'd say, ah, oh, that can't be true. I don't understand that. Can't figure that out. So don't try to figure God out. Trust His Word. Okay? So when you talk about the fact of His person, who is He and what is He? Look in verse 9. He says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Do you agree that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is the Spirit of God? How many of you believe that? Do you believe that? All right, verse 9 says, Now if any man have not the Spirit of who? Of Christ. He is none of His. And if Christ be in you, So what we're seeing here is the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Father, and the Spirit of Christ in you. He has a mind, He has a will, He has a voice. The Spirit speaketh expressly. He has a will. You'll notice in verse number 16 it says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. That's Him speaking to you that we're the children of God. Look in verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. He has a will. The Holy Spirit, like Jesus, their desire is to delight and do the will of the Father. The fact of His person. You've got to believe He's a person and not a thing of some kind of fog that moves into the room. Number two, the fact of His presence. Where is He? Okay. Who is He? He's God. Number two, where is He? Well, can I tell you, in the past, He was busy with the Father in creation. The Spirit of God moved upon the waters. He's been around a long time. He's eternal. But in the Old Testament, Brother Lauren, and here's where some people get confused about the working of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And here's where people in the New Testament wrongly divide the Word of God because they want to compare what He did in the Old Testament to what He does in the New Testament. You can't do that. Not and stay correct. Can't do that. Because God had a purpose for the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, He would indwell a person, but sometimes He would leave that person. Sometimes He would come upon a man, and sometimes He would leave that man. That was different than it is today. In the Old Testament, David prayed when he was getting right with God. In Psalm 51, he was saying, Lord, take not thy spirit from me. He understood that the Spirit of God comes and goes. But there was a a promise that was made That the Holy Spirit would come one day and indwell us and would stay in us. That New Testament Christian. By the way, concerning the Lord Jesus, the Holy Ghost filled Him without measure. John the Baptist. Well, you're talking about a strange situation. He was filled with the Holy Ghost in his mother's womb. That is an amazing statement. Say, tell me what, what does that mean? I don't know. I just believe it. I know that as a child in that womb, he heard somebody else talking about Jesus and he got excited. I believe that if the Holy Spirit lives in you, it doesn't trouble you when somebody else begins to honor Christ around you. But this thing about the promise that was made that things would change, and I'm not giving you all the verses because I've taught on this for years. 
I'm just trying to skim across this to get to the part that I want to deal with tonight. I know that you know that now He indwells every Bible-believing Christian or every Christ-believing Christian personally. And He indwells that person permanently. He abides with them. He seals them until the day of redemption. Praise the Lord for that. Because if that would be the case, can you imagine that the, day, the moment that you sinned after you were saved, you lost the Spirit of God? And then you got right with God, would He come back again? And then when you sinned again, would He leave again? Or would you be saved one day and lost the next? And according to the book of Hebrews, that once you lose it, you can't get it back. There's no more ground, there's no more room for repentance once you forsake Him and leave Him. There is no grounds back. So if you believe in once saved, always saved, I think you're scriptural. If you believe in you can get saved and then lose it, we'll also believe you can't get it back. And it's amazing how it's always them that never lose it. And it's their children who never lose it. Well, anyway, that's beside the point. I'm getting off track here. But He indwells you permanently. And I can prove this through the Word of God, through Scriptures. But for sake of time, we won't go to all those verses. But look in chapter 8, verse 9 again. I want to show you something. If you're born again, here's where He is now. Right now, He is inside your body. Now, you've got to get this or I'm wasting the rest of my breath in this service. If you don't believe that, we're wasting our time. We might want to close our Bibles and go to the house. He said, well, I don't feel him. Well, I didn't ask you if you felt him. Because sometimes you're going to feel him and sometimes you're not. And uh, there are reasons for that. But sometimes uh, he also wants to feel you and for you to feel him. And sometimes he doesn't want to be felt. I don't understand all that. But I've experienced it. I want to sense his presence and, and, and his power. 24-7. But sometimes it's just almost like he just kind of, okay, I've brought you this far now, you're going to have, and, and, I'm, and I've taken, I'm, I've got you on the bicycle, and now you're, you're, you're going to have to do some pedaling on your own. But I'll be right there beside you. But the Bible says here in Romans chapter 8, look with me in verse number 9, he says, he said, but if you're not in the flesh, he said, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So, folks, we'll take a few verses out of the book of Acts. In a transition book of when the Lord was changing some things from Israel to the church. And they'll go into prisons and other churches and places and say, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you've been saved? Can I say to you, that doesn't fit today? Because when you get saved, according to Galatians chapter number 4, He sent Christ to redeem you. And then when you got redeemed, He sent the Spirit of God to dwell in your heart when you got saved. Now watch. The question is not whether He's got you, it's whether He needs to get more of you. Or should I say, the question is not, do you have Him in you? Does He have you? He is Christ in you. Now that, that, that really is an amazing statement. Eight verse, chapter 8 verse 14. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. If you have not yet received the Spirit of, for you have not received the Spirit of bondage again to fear. But you have received the Spirit of adoption whereby you cry of a Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be glorified with Him together. And so God is letting you know that He lives and dwells inside of you. For sake of time, we won't turn to these verses, but it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20, that you have been bought with a price. That price is the blood of Jesus Christ. And that you are not your own. Anymore. You've been bought, redeemed. And now your body, the Spirit of God, is not in the temple that someone has built in a certain location in the world. The Spirit of God now dwells inside of you, and He calls your body the temple of God. 
You need to embrace that truth. Ephesians 3, Paul prayed that we would believe in our hearts by faith that Christ dwells in us. And that His love for us, the Holy Ghost sheds abroad the love of God in our hearts. And that we would embrace that love and let it embrace us. And he said that love is higher than you can imagine, deeper than you can ever imagine, wider than you can ever imagine. That the love of God exceeds far than you could ever think possible. And He lives inside of you. And the more you become sensitive to Him, the more you're going to become like Him. And that, and that is the fact that He shed that love in your heart. Not the love of the world. The love of God. Amen. And so, when he talks about this, we have to learn to walk by faith according to the facts, and the feelings will come and go. And they do. John said, We know that He abideth in us by the Spirit which He hath given us. The Spirit of God is someone you can know, and He will know you. Now, let's talk about the third fact, the fact of His purpose. Why did the Holy Spirit come to live inside of me? Before our new birth, He had to work on us to convince us that we were as bad as He says we are. Because everybody will lightly say, conveniently say, oh, yeah, I'm a sinner. You ask them, have you ever done anything wrong? Yeah, oh, yeah, everybody has. They say, yeah, everybody's a sinner. But I meant the Holy Spirit makes it personal. And he says, no, you have sinned against God. You are facing the judgment of God. And you are void of the righteousness that is necessary for you to inherit the kingdom of God. He convinces us of sin and of righteousness and of the judgment of God that it's just and right. And I can remember that as clear as a bell. Sister Dixie, when I was a teen, I, told, I gave my testimony many times, but I'm telling you, it was clear as a bell for me personally. After sitting under the Word of God for about six months. Because when I first got in church, it wasn't no big deal. But the more I got under the light, the more the light began to show me how dirty that I was. Convinced me that I was a sinner, convinced me that I was going to be judged by God, and convinced that I deserved that judgment. But thank God the Holy Spirit doesn't just leave me there, Brother Zach. He gives me hope. Amen. Now, the devil will beat you up about how sorry you are, but he won't tell you how Christ can help you. But the Holy Spirit will tell you, hey, there's hope here, buddy. There's hope. And that hope is in a person, and that person is Christ. When I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that the very moment that I called upon His name, He promised me He would save me, and I believed Him. But that moment that it happened, I can tell you, at that moment, the peace of God came inside my heart. I sensed it. The Spirit of God bore witness to my spirit that I was a child of God. I did not experience some unknown language. He worked on changing the language that I did know. You get my drift. He convinced me and he changed me by his power. Because if any man be in Christ, he is a, he's a new creature. I love the song that Daniel Whittle wrote. He said this. He said, I know not how the spirit moves. Convincing men of sin. Revealing Jesus through the word. Creating faith in him. He said, but I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I don't, he said, I don't even know how this saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart. He said, but I know whom I have believed. Praise the Lord for that. Well, let's move on real quickly here, if you would. In this passage here in Romans chapter number 8, it's important that we see this. After our new birth, God sends the Holy Ghost into my heart to change me, to make me a new creature. Well, when I became a babe in Christ, I needed comforting. He did that. I needed feeding. He did that. He taught me slowly, patiently, illuminating my heart. Brother Kenny, when I got born again, I didn't know any Bible. 
Didn't know the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Called the book of Job, Job. Called the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk. That's my southern upbringing. I didn't know. I didn't have the chance to grow up like some of you to learn all the Bible uh, books in a row. Did you know if you got me up here against some of these kids and say, hey, you quote all the books of the Bible and they'd quote them all in a row, don't put me up against them. <laughs> My whole life I've studied what's inside those books. But to line them up and quote them in a row, I can find them in my Bible. I almost know what page some of them are on, but you asked me to, to line them up all in a row? Now, kid, don't go home and say, well, Brother Rogers can't say them in a row, so don't be fussing at me about it. No. You just tell them, yeah, but Brother Roger knows what's inside those books. Do you? You know, just push back on them a little bit. Okay? But this thing about God being patient with you, boy, He is very gentle and patient with with one of His children about learning the Bible. Guiding us and leading us, strengthening us, giving us power to... And the reason why He's doing that is because He doesn't take a babe in Christ and then just throw him out to the world and say, now do the best you can. We had five beautiful children, and we, we had to hold on to them until they were able to start walking a little bit. And then when, even when they started walking, they were staggering. And then sometimes would fall and would, would bust their lip or their, or their nose, and we just kind of had to hold on to them until they could walk a little bit because we loved them. And that's the way the Father, the Holy Spirit, does with you. And sometimes a child wants to be just like their mom or their dad, but they're not ready yet. But the Holy Spirit's very patient. He knows where you are. Now, by the way, sometimes your growth depends upon your attitude and your spirit. This ain't like a physical birth where that is that, you know, you've got to go through these years. You can grow fast in the Lord if you'll let Him teach you some things and grow. Now, I want you to turn to Romans 6 for just a moment, and then we'll be done. Okay? Uh, this is important. This is where doctrine kicks in. You need to know doctrine. People hate that word. In, um, in many of our churches, uh, not ours, but I mean around this area, the word doctrine. We are a non-denominational church. That means non-doctrinal church. They uh, brag on the fact that, well, we don't worry about doctrine because doctrine divides. You know, that is a fact. Because the word doctrine stands for truth. And truth divides. It does. By the way, I didn't make that rule up. Jesus caused division. Because he was the truth. All right, now look with me in Romans 6. God saved you to make you an overcomer. He did not save you for you to be frustrated your whole entire Christian walk. He saved you, Brother Tucker, so you could walk with Him. He saved you, Ethan, so you could walk with Him. He saved you, Abigail, so you could walk with the Lord as a young lady. He made it possible, Brother Zach, that somebody like me from Bigby, Mississippi, could walk with the Lord. He knew what he was getting. And he said, I got what it takes. I can change you, boy. I can fix you. I can fix what's broken. I can help you. You'll notice in Romans chapter number 6, verse 1. I want you to notice the thing about walking in the Spirit compared to and synonymous with walking in newness of life. It's the same. He said in chapter 6 and verse 1, he said, What shall we say then? Should we continue, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Your baptism occurs when you get saved. You are baptized into the Holy... The Holy Spirit baptizes you into the body of Christ. 
This is signified by what you do when you go through water baptism. And when you go through water baptism, you are saying that I do not want to live the way that I used to live. And I'm asking the Lord to use me and to help me to be an overcomer. Verse 5 says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. That means a new creature. When Jesus got up out of the grave, He was a new creature. He was in a resurrected body. Now when I got up out out of the water, and when I got saved, I did not become what you might say in a resurrected body, but I became a new creature. I was a new creature by the grace of God. In verse 6, Knowing this, that that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. God's will is to destroy my old man. That's a fact. So I'm having boxing matches with this old man and the Spirit of God. And God's saying, listen, the Holy Spirit can whoop that guy if you'll just let him. Not only will he whoop him, he'll kill him. He'll beat him to death. And Lompa said, Lord, whoop him. Here's what he says. And he says in verse number 8, Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. And, and that's important that we understand some things right here as far as allowing the Holy Spirit to help us. He works with truth. We are not without hope. We're not without help. And so the question has to be asked, what's wrong with me? You ever ask yourself that? Has your wife ever asked you that? (laughs) What's wrong with me? Now I say that sometimes looking at the mirror and say, Lord, where do these thoughts come from? Lord, I don't want those desires anymore. Lord, what's the matter with me? Examine yourself. Make sure you're a child of God. And if you are, then what He's asking you to do is to participate with the person that has come to live inside of you. And it really sounds simple, but it has to do with your pride. It has to do with your faith and your pride. You get those two in the right order in your heart tonight, and the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, will have access to you in a greater way than you have ever known. He resists the proud. He'll let you get beat up. If you think you can handle it on your own, he'll let you get a bloody nose. And then you'll come back and say, Lord, I can't do that. He said, I know. You wouldn't listen. Tried to tell you. Can't handle this on your own. There are consequences to living in the flesh for a number of years. That old man has become strong. He's got more territory that has to be taken back by the Holy Spirit. That's why you find a young person who's grown up in submission to their parents and gets saved in church and continues to walk with the Lord, they don't struggle with some of the things that some folks got saved when they were 20, 30, or 40 who lived in the flesh for a number of years and they get saved. It takes, it takes a lot more submission and a, more, a lot more humbling. And the Bible says this. Look at verse number 11. He says this. He says, likewise, reckon ye yourself also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. What does that mean? Well, it just means I'm signing over my life certificate to God. It means that I'm taking a blank piece of paper and I'm signing that over and I'm saying, Lord, you fill it in. Your will be done. You know what you want? You want him to fill it in? Let you read it over? Then you want to sign it. And he says, no, not going to work that way. He says, you sign it, then I'll fill it in. By the way, I have to do that every day. Every day. Sometimes, several times a day. Sign it, I'll show you what to do. Not, Lord, show me, then I'll determine whether or not I want to do it. So, here he says, in this passage, he says, Verse 11, he says, Reckon yourself also to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. Not just the negative, but the positive. The Holy Spirit says, listen, understand, that old man has been crucified with Christ. Now that's, that's, that's something, that reckon is like a, is something that you do every day. How many of you, you don't have to tell me how much is put in your checking account, but how many of you, 
don't even receive a paper check anymore, but your money is sent directly into your account. Raise your hand. Well, most of you. Most of you. So when that occurs, do you begin to spend money by faith, believing that they did what they said they would do? You do, don't you? Or do you, go, do you drive down to the bank and say, let me see your computers and let me see what's in here. Let me see it right now. I want to make sure that you got it. Or do you start using that card? Now, when you start doing that, you are reckoning that to be true. When they send you a notice and it says, okay, man, you got, you got $1,800 deposited in your checking account today, available to you. And you know what happens when you see that? You start rejoicing. You feel better. If I were to sell you $5,000 tonight, I think it would change your feelings. If I told you right now, knowing that I am an honest man and a man of integrity, if I told you right now, I just had Cindy sell you $5,000. Now go do what you want to with it. Why, you'd leave here saying, man, that's awesome. Let's go get a bite to eat. You got your card, let's go. Because you are reckoning that to be true based upon your confidence in my integrity. And your boss's integrity, when he zails you your money, or whatever word you want to use for that, you reckon it to be so. And the Lord is saying, listen, that old man you got, I put a knife to his throat. He no longer has power to control you, except what you give him. Except what you give him. Verse 11 says, you reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin. Very similar to what somebody might go through in a, in maybe even in a very horrible situation with a divorce. That when it's on paper and you're delivered that paper from the judges and it says you no longer are officially married, then you start acting like you're no longer officially married. They can't tell you what to do unless you allow them. You understand? And when the old man comes along and says, hey, you know what? That cold beer right there looks pretty good. How about just one for day? You know it was 110 today? Let's get it one. And you look at him and, excuse me, you talk to him and say, um, excuse me, uh, you don't live here anymore, you don't belong here anymore, and you're not going to tell me what to do. And I'm going to reckon you to be no longer an authority in my life. You say, you have conversations like that sometimes? You're a little weird, but you are too. But I don't pick up the beer. Because I say, okay, Lord, that's not what you want me to do. Lord, I'm not going to yield. And and then the second word is yield. Verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Don't let it, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Don't let it happen. Verse 13, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't yield your body to to that impulse and to that voice that's dark. Don't do it. Yield it to the light. Yield it to the Holy Ghost. Yield yourself right there and say, Lord, I don't want to live like this and I don't want to talk like this. I don't want to be like this to my wife or to my husband or to my son or my daughter. God, please. And I promise you, if you cry out to Him in humility, I promise you the Holy Spirit will respond to your cry. And He will give you strength. He will help you. Verse 17 says, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart the form of what? Oh, there's that word doctrine, which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. He came to help you. He came to help you. If you'll let Him tonight, you know what you're going to have to do, though? You're going to have to acknowledge Him, that He lives in you. Then you've got to just simply agree with Him. The more you learn the Word of God, you'll learn more how to agree with Him. Spurgeon said this in closing about the Holy Spirit. He said, He is our comforter, our instructor, our guide, our sanctifier, our quickener, our intercessor. And he says he fulfills his office very well. He said, Let us revere his person and adore him as God over all, blessed forever. And let us own his power and our need of him by waiting upon him in our holy enterprises. Let us hourly seek his aid, never grieve him. Let us speak to His praise whenever occasion occurs. 
The church will never prosper until more reverence, excuse me, until more reverently it believes in the Holy Ghost. He is so good and kind that it is sad indeed that he should be grieved by slights and negligences. God's will is that you walk in the Spirit. That you might not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You're trying with all your might to quit some things. And God's saying, I'll help you to quit those things if you'll yield yourself to me. Reckon yourself to be dead. Yield yourself to me. Humble yourself to me. And the power that I have put in you can be released. It's like giving God the keys to every room that's in your heart. And He has the power to go in those rooms. You say, man, if I do that, life won't be fun anymore. You know who told you that lie? Your old man whispered that in your ear. Just keep walking in the flesh. See how much fun that is. But if you walk in the Spirit, He'll give you some holy fun. Some godly fun. And you don't have to worry about waking up the next day where you are. And what you've done. And who you've been with. Who did you hurt. The Holy Ghost will help you with those things. Nobody has ever walked in the Spirit and regretted it. Everybody that's walked in the flesh has grieved. I pray this evening again. We'd be a church that is sensitive to the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. I'm going to ask you to pray with me right where you are. I'm going to ask you to pray with me right where you are. If you can, from your heart, Say these things by faith. I pray that you would. My Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I believe the Word of God over my feelings. I believe that you sent Jesus Christ to die for me on the cross. I believe that you raised Him from the dead. And in my heart, there is a witness that says, Amen. And Heavenly Father, I believe that when I called upon you, you promised me you would save me. And I believe that. And Lord, I also believe your word that when I became a child of God, you sent the Holy Spirit to live inside of me. And Lord, tonight I want to confess with my mouth and my heart that I believe that by faith. Help me, dear Father, to reckon myself to be dead unto you and alive unto Christ, and to yield my body an instrument of righteousness. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would become more real to me as I become more real to Him. Forgive me of my pride. Use me to minister to the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.